Well, if you have your Bibles with you, again, I invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms, Psalm 3. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 968. If you're a guest with us, we began a few weeks ago a series for the summer in the book of Psalms. We're going to be looking at Psalm 3 this morning, and I think you'll find that this is a very encouraging and helpful psalm. It is quickly becoming one of my favorites. Psalm 3. And I want to speak for a few minutes this morning on this subject, a song for the morning. Psalm 3. And this is what the Word of God says. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Psalm 3 introduces us to a series of firsts. It is the first psalm to introduce a title or a superscription in the text. It is the first psalm that is actually called a psalm, which means to pluck strings or to refer to a poem that is to be sung to musical accompaniment because the people of God would sing these psalms as a part of their worship. The this is the first psalm to identify its author. If you'll see at the beginning, it says it is a psalm of David. It is the first psalm to identify its occasion. It's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. It is the first psalm to use the term Selah throughout the text. And it is the first prayer that you will find in the book of Psalms. For Psalm 3 is a psalm of lament. One commentator helps us understand the lament of psalms by writing this. Laments express perplexity, anguish, and even discouragement during times of overwhelming circumstances. Yet they also reflect the confident hope of those who trust their compassionate and faithful God. The Psalms of Lament teach us that God welcomes boldness and honesty when we cry out to Him. And we need not fear that He won't hear, because He has promised never to turn away from those who truly seek Him. A Psalm of Lament, a prayer of trust and hope in God. Psalm 3 teaches us that the Lord helps His people in times of trouble. David was in trouble, and like many of us, his trouble centered around relationships, 
specifically family relationships. And this psalm records David's plea for help and his expression of trust in God in the midst of his personal crisis. Now, the historical background of Psalm 3 is found in 2 Samuel chapters 13 to 18. There we find that David's son Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar, so Absalom, also one of David's sons, killed Amnon to defend his sister's honor. Then Absalom turned and began a revolt against his father David. And because of his beauty and his charisma and his shrewdness, many of David's people joined Absalom's revolt. And at one point, the opposition against David became so great that David was forced to flee and to go into exile, leaving his throne and his city and his country. And it is in that context that David picked up his pen and began to write the words of Psalm 3. In the midst of this crisis, surrounded by innumerable enemies, David called upon the Lord with stubborn trust, believing that God would rescue him. This psalm teaches us clearly that God is Lord over life even in times of trouble, always working for His glory and for the good of His people. Psalm 3 teaches us that every trial or troubling situation we face is an opportunity for us to trust in the Lord. For it was in the midst of His most devastating and desperate hour that David penned these words. And when the pressures of life surrounded him, David modeled for us how to respond to those pressures with genuine faith, giving us a song to sing in the morning. And so would you notice with me four truths about this psalm? First of all, in verses 1 and 2, I want you to see David's pressures. He writes, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God, Selah. It was during a time of international peace under David's reign when his greatest danger came from within Israel, from within his own household. And in these first two verses, David feels the mounting pressure that is coming to bear upon his life by his numerous opponents, and he cries out to his covenantal God. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 to 13 tells us that what began as a secret covert rebellion by David's son Absalom escalated into a full-blown public revolt by many of Israel's citizens, including some of David's closest friends and most trusted advisors. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, describe for us the climax of this rebellion from David's son. And this is what the Bible says in these two verses. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, Gilo. And listen, listen to the text. 
and the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. Did you hear that? The conspiracy grew strong, and the people with David's son kept increasing. And a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom, betrayed by his son, his closest, most trusted advisors. And it leads David to describe the pressures that he's feeling. And if you look at the text in verses 1 and 2, you see one word that is repeated three times in these first two verses. It's the word many. And the repetitive use of this word, many are rising against me, many are opposing me, many are saying things about me. It describes a crescendo of pressure in the life of David. Because David feels as if there is nothing but enemies surrounding him. And notice what these enemies say in these verses. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Oh, friends, don't you know what it's like to be like David and be burdened? in your soul it's one thing to have the pressures mounting visibly all around you it's another thing to be discouraged and feel defeated emotionally and physically it is a whole nether level of pressure when it's an attack on your soul and in these verses David feels that pressure on his soul and to understand clearly what his enemies are saying is this. They were not denying God's ability to save David. And David's enemies had just concluded that God would not save David. It wasn't that he couldn't. They felt God wouldn't. And the reason why they came to this conclusion is because David had a past. And David's enemies knew about his past. And whenever you find yourself in the throes of enemies, your past always comes up. And that's why his enemies said what they said. Maybe you're not familiar with David's past. David committed adultery. And then after he committed adultery, he committed murder to cover up adultery. And a long period of time passed. And David never repented of his sins. And so God sent the prophet Nathan to him to confront him over his sin. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we have the record of that confrontation. And after Nathan confronts David, David repents. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 10 to 13, this is what the Bible says through the prophet Nathan from God to David. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. 
And thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Did you hear that? You shall not die. I believe the text is teaching us that if David hadn't confessed of his sin to Nathan, when he was confronted, God was going to kill him and take him to a premature grave. But because David confessed and because David repented, God relented, but he did not, listen friends, he did not eliminate David's consequences for his sin. And David's enemies, his very son, knew these consequences. And that's why they were saying to David, run and hide and flee, but there's no help for you. God's already declared it. Your soul is in trouble. God is not going to save you. And friends, this reality reminds us of the sinfulness of sin. The sin plays for keeps. It's dangerous. It's fearful to fall into the hands of the living God. And while you and I may repent of our sins, our consequences may long live beyond our repentance. And so David's foes were declaring that God was no longer on David's side. These words that they were saying to David were similar to the words that were hurled at another king in the midst of his suffering. For Matthew chapter 27 verses 42 to 43 say this, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. David experienced what Jesus experienced when he hung on the cross. And David felt the weight and the power of his enemy's words. Dale Ralph Davis said, verse 2 shows us how subtle our despair may be. It, come, it may come more from the enemy's words than from their weapons, more from their suggestions than from their attack. And it was the words of his enemies that pierced David's soul. He's completely outnumbered. He is completely overwhelmed. His enemies are led by his very son, and they want him dead, and they're surrounding him, and they're pressing in and down upon him. He's brokenhearted, and he feels as if something inside of him has died. And that's why Spurgeon said of this verse, it is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there's no help for us in God. It's a bitter affliction that David is experiencing. It's probably the greatest of all of the pressures that are mounting upon him. But notice what the text says in the midst of his pressures. How does David respond? He tells Yahweh about it. He tells his covenant-keeping God about all of the pressures that are coming to bear upon his life. And in this regard, David is teaching you and I how we should respond when the pressures are mounting in our life. David pours out his heart to the one who they say doesn't care 
about the many who say there's no help for him in the God that he is praying to. And that's why Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in our time of trouble. Do you hear the present tense language of that verse, friends? He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our help. Present tense. We don't have to wait for him to help. He is helping right now, this very moment. And let's be clear. David is doing what you and I do when the pressure's mount. He's complaining. Isn't that exactly what you do? Oh, don't look at me like that. No, I have no idea what you're talking about, Pastor. Yes, you do. We complain. We talk about how unfair and unjust it is. But I want you to notice the difference. You and I complain to our friends and to our spouses and to anyone who will listen to us. But David complained in the right place. He sent his complaint to the right person, the only one who could change his situation, God. That's why the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Oh, David complained. He lamented. He cried out, but he cried out to the Lord. It reminds us that when pressure comes, we have a choice to make. We can either turn to God or we can turn away from God. We can either use suffering to justify our unbelief or we can use suffering to spur us on and move us forward in our belief. And David chose the latter. He cried out to God when the pressures were mounting all around him. Notice how verses 1 and 2 end. Do you see it? It's the first time it occurs in the Psalms, the word Selah. It is used 71 times in the book of Psalms, and it is used three times in the book of Habakkuk, and that's the only places that you'll find this word in the Bible. It's a very difficult word to define. Most agree that it is a musical term that can indicate either a crescendo or a pause or an interlude. And when it's placed in the Psalms, it is placed there strategically to invite the reader of the Psalm, the singer of the Psalm, to stop and consider carefully the magnitude of what is being said. And so in verses 1 and 2, there's a crescendo of pressure in David's life. And at the end of that crescendo of pressure, the psalmist says, Selah, stop, pause, think about what he's just said. So let me help us think about what he's just said. You may not be attacked by soldiers commanded by your son this morning as David was attacked by Absalom, but you might find yourself in a position where your children hate you or have betrayed you because of what you stand for and what you have tried to teach them. And if not your children, You may find pressure mounting from your spouse who wants nothing to do with your faith. You may feel like David today, that those closest to you, those in whom you've placed the greatest trust and confidence, are the very ones who are the source of your unrelenting pressure. Or maybe your pressure is coming from someone or somewhere else 
remotely different from David's experience. Here's what I know this morning. No matter where or whom it comes from, every single one of us in this room knows all too well the feeling of mounting pressures in our life. And Psalm 3 invites us to examine who we cry out to when the pressure's mounting. When you're outnumbered, when you're overwhelmed, where do you turn? Who do you look to for help? Who do you trust in when you feel you've lost all hope? Is your suffering driving you away from God or is it driving you toward Him? Have the lies of the devil and the enemies caused you to doubt God and His faithfulness and His goodness and the fact that you can trust Him in all things? All of us can relate to the pressures of David. Well, we not only see David's pressures in verses 3 and 4, we see David's protection. He writes, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. In reply to those who were saying that he would receive no help from God, David constant, confidently asserts that the covenant God of Israel will respond on his behalf. And I want you to notice carefully at the text, because these next two verses are so encouraging. And there's going to come a morning when you're going to wake up and you're going to need to be encouraged because the pressures are going to be surrounding you and you're going to need to remember what David testifies to about God's protection over his life in the midst of his pressures. And in verses 3 and 4, we see that David was confident because he had a protecting God. Do you see what it says? God was a shield about him. And in biblical terminology, a shield was used to protect against darts and swords and axes. And it emphasized that God was David's protector. And this expression of God being a shield goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1, where God reassures Abraham that he will safeguard him from all danger because he will be Abraham's shield. In humanly speaking, a shield in battle is limited in its protection. But I want you to look at the text again. What does he say about God being his shield? He says that God is a shield about him. And when he says about him, David is thinking this way. Any dangers in front of me, God is my shield. Any dangers to the right, any dangers to the left, God is my shield. Any dangers behind me, God is my shield. Any dangers above me, God is my shield. Any dangers beneath me, God is my shield. There's no place I can go. There's no direction I cannot turn. That God isn't already there as my shield and as my protection. That David didn't have to absorb the blows of his enemies. God, his shield, would absorb those blows. That's why he would pin in Psalm 28 and verse 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. Listen, in him my heart trusts and I am 
helped. And isn't that what you're looking for when the pressures are mounting? You're looking for help. And David is testifying to you that God as your shield is your help in times of trouble and pressure. He's all around you. He's above you. He's under you. There's no place that you can go. There's nothing that you can experience that he's not already there. He's your shield. And but listen to how he finishes it. And because he's my help, my heart exalts. And with my song, I give thanks to him. <laughs> David, as he's thinking about God being his shield, do you know what he does? He starts to sing. That's how helped he is. And that's exactly what you and I need to do when the pressures mount. Sing to the Lord. He's your strength. He's your shield. Well, he wasn't just confident because he had a protecting God. He was confident because he had a sufficient God. Look at what he says. This will help you this morning. He says that God is my glory. And when this word glory is used to describe God, it emphasizes weightiness. And when it is used to describe a human, it emphasizes substance and integrity and dignity. And here's what you need to understand about this word glory. In Numbers 14 and 16, the glory of Yahweh speaks of his readiness to intervene in order to defend his leader when he is under assault. And when you read those chapters, you find that throughout Israel's episodes of rebellion in the wilderness... The Israelites and those from Korah would often be ready to attack Aaron and Moses. And just about the time they were ready to attack God's leaders, the Bible says that the Shekinah glory of God would invade the camp at just the right time and protect God's leaders. Now look at the text and think about the context. And David was shamefully run off. But notice that his self-worth and his identity were not rooted in his palace. They weren't rooted in his position. They weren't rooted in his possession. They were rooted in God. That Yahweh was David's glory meant that Yahweh is what is praiseworthy about David. That Yahweh was David's glory is what wins David's honor and esteem in the sight of others. That Yahweh was David's glory is what makes David's life significant. In essence, it really had nothing to do about David, and it had everything to do about God in his glory applied to the life of his servant David. David was confident because his significance, his identity... The meaning of his life was found in God and his glory. And I'm telling you, friends, that truth alone will help you when the pressures are surrounding you. Your significance and your worth is never found in your job. Your significance and your worth is never found in your parenting. Your significance and your worth is never found in your friendship. Your significance and your worth is found in the fact that you belong to God and His glory is on your life. 
And so that means that no matter what pressure is coming from your job, your relationship, your home, wherever it may be, your significance isn't found there. It's found in your relationship with God. And so your whole world can be falling in and you can still be significant because you belong to God and his glory rests on you. It's helpful. It's helpful. David's confident because he has a restoring God. Look at the text. He is the lifter of David's head. 2 Samuel chapter 15 is heartbreaking. At the height of his rebellion, the Bible says that David and those closest to him who haven't betrayed him fled the city and fled the country. In 2 Samuel 15, record, now don't miss this. It records David's fleeing. And the Bible describes David climbing up the Mount of Olives. And he's climbing up. His head is down. He's barefoot. He's brokenhearted. And in a couple chapters later, he'll be mocked by people who were close to King Saul. And here's David in the morning, having marched all the way up that mountain, hiding in a cave somewhere, most likely, surrounded by enemies, thinking about his significance being in God, thinking about how God is, is his protection, thinking about how his head was down and defeated and he was barefoot and he was brokenhearted in his soul, climbing that mountain. And David says, God is the lifter of my head. Do you know what the picture of that is? It's significant. In David's day, when you appeared before the king, if you were going to be judged and punished, the king would step off his throne and he would put his foot on your neck as a sign that you were condemned to be punished. Oh, don't miss this. But if you found favor in the sight of the king, the king would get off his throne and he would come down. And as you were bending down before him, he would put his head down hand down, grab your head, and lift it up so you can make eye contact with him, showing that you found favor in the eyes of the king. And here's David. Can't you see the picture? Oh, friends, how does this not encourage you this morning? Can't you see it? His whole world has fallen apart. God's going to protect me. God's my significance. And I may have walked up this hill with my head down in shame, but God is the lifter of my head. He's going to encourage me and strengthen me. He trusted his crumbling life to the only one who could lift his head. Notice, he's confident because he had an accessible God. The Bible says that he cried aloud to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. Seven, six times in this psalm, the word Lord, the covenant name for God, is used. He's the one who keeps his promise to his people. He's the one who promised David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that there will always be a remnant from his line on his throne. And David understood that and he knew that God would keep his promises. Now notice, notice the text. David doesn't tell us what he prayed. He tells us how he prayed. His confidence in his prayer wasn't in himself. It wasn't in his circumstances. It wasn't in his feelings. His confidence was in his protecting God. He prayed and trusted everything to God. 
in the middle of all of his overwhelming pressures, David said, I know my God. He's a shield all around me. He's my glory. He's the lifter of my head. He's the one who hears my prayers of desperation, and he's the one who will answer me. And what was true of David is true for you and me. Now I want you to listen carefully to this statement that I found from A.W. Tozer. It, it was written years ago. It is so relevant to the context of Psalm 3, verses 3 and 4, and what David is saying about God, and it is so relevant to 2022. Listen to what he says. What we need very badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely now as, though, as they know they must do at the last day. Did you hear that? That they completely trust God now as they know they'll have to do on the last day. For each of us, the time is coming when we shall have nothing but God. Just in case you zoned out, I'm going to read that sentence again. For each of us, the time is coming when we shall have nothing but God. Health and wealth and friends and hiding places will be swept away and we shall have only God. To the man of pseudo-faith, that is a terrifying thought. But to real faith, it is one of the most comforting thoughts the heart can entertain. End quote. Trust in God's protection no matter what the pressures. And listen to me, I'm not trying to be a doom and gloom preacher this morning. I am taking seriously my responsibility to shepherd the flock of God and to prepare you for what's coming. And this psalm helps us in that. You need to find your significance in God. You need to find your protection and your trust in God. You need to cry out to God, believing that he'll answer you no matter what's happening in your life and in this world. And notice how verses 3 and 4 end. Do you see it? Selah. Think about it. David's protection from God is something to think about. It's something to dwell on. It's something to personalize in your life. Do you believe God will protect you in your trials? Do you believe that when everything is taken from you, that God is enough and God is sufficient for you? Are you finding your self-worth and your identity and your dignity in God and his glory? Do you believe this morning, friends, no matter how great your shame and your guilt and your fear, God can lift your head? We not only see David's pressures and David's protection, in verses 5 and 6, we see David's peace. I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. When you study the Psalms, you find that Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 share the same theme. They share the same message. They share the same background. Psalm 3 is a morning psalm. Psalm 4 is an evening psalm, and you'll see that when you read verse 8 next week. But Psalm 3 and verse 5 is a morning prayer. It is David testifying of God's faithfulness through the night as he awakens in the morning. And when you study 2 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 to 20, you find 
that the danger of a night attack upon David was real, that they were plotting and scheming to come get him at night. And it's always at night, isn't it, when the bad thoughts happen? It's always at night when the anxiety sets in. It's always at night when the pressures rob us of sleep, rob us of joy, rob us of our mind. What did David do at night when the pressures of the enemy were real? Look at the text. Don't miss the text. What did he do? He slept. He went to sleep. And nowhere in the text does it say that he took a pill to help him. It just says that he slept. And the language in verses 5 and 6 is, six is emphatic. I, emphatic, I laid down, I slept. And the reason why he could speak so emphatically in verses 5 and 6 is because of the emphatic but in verses 3 and 4. Because God was his shield, because God was his glory. Because God was the lifter of his head, David could lay down and David could go to sleep because he committed his soul to the one who never sleeps so that you and I can sleep. He committed his soul to the one who sustains us when we sleep. You know that to be true about God, don't you? In Psalm 121, verses 3 and 4, the psalmist says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God never sleeps so that you and I can. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 26, 3, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Here's what I know. If David had tried to take matters into his own hand with his own strength, he would have tossed and turned all night in that cave. He would have been restless. He would have been worried. He would have been anxious. He would have woken up the next morning and his friends who were hiding out with him would have said, How did you sleep, David? He would have said, I slept like a baby. I was up all night. But he didn't. He didn't trust his situation to his own strength and his own pressures. He listened. He trusted Yahweh with his throne. He trusted Yahweh with his kingdom. He trusted Yahweh with his son and his enemies who were betraying him. And he slept. It's a reminder, friends, when you've done everything that you can do and you've trusted in God, lay down and go to sleep. You can trust God with your children. What good is it doing you as a parent to lie awake all night worried about them? Your worry is not going to change one thing in their life. Your prayers will. Your trust in God will. You can trust God with what's happening at your work so you don't have to lay in bed all night making your spouse miserable. You can have peace. And notice what happened when David woke up. He said, the Lord sustained me. The Lord sustained me. And listen, don't miss this. Do you know why every single person in this room is able to be in this room this very moment right now? Because God sustained you last night when you went to bed. That's the only reason you're awake this morning. That's the only reason you're half awake now in this sermon. 
the Lord is sustaining you through the long-winded preacher. Right? That's it. And tonight when you go to bed and you lie down on that bed in that pillow, if you wake up in the morning, it's God's grace to you that he sustained you through the night and all the dangers that faced you. Listen to me. It's not your gun cabinet that's going to sustain you tonight. It's the Lord. It's not your retirement account that's going to sustain you tonight. It's the Lord. It's not your notoriety that's going to sustain you tonight. If you wake up in the morning, the only reason you wake up is because God brought you through the night. He's your glory. He's the lifter of your head. He's the one who can give you sleep, sweet, sweet sleep. So why? Why would you worry? Why would you fear? Why would you be stolen of your sleep and your peace when you have a God like this? Why? It's because you don't focus on God, you focus on your trouble. It's because you don't focus on his promises, you focus on your pressures. Well, we not only see David's pressure and David's protection and David's peace. Finally, we see in verses 7 and 8, David's prayer. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people, Selah. In verse 7, we have another first. This verse is the first imprecatory psalm in the book of Psalms. You say, what is an imprecatory psalm? I'm not even sure I can say that word. I had to practice that word. So it's all good. It's a prayer for punishment or an announcement of curse on one's enemies. I like this definition. It is a go get them God prayer. God, go get them. Go take care of them. And in verse 7, David is recalling the cry of Moses when God would lead the Israelites. He would say, Arise, O Lord, rise up and go before your people to defend them. And that's what David is praying. He's praying for God to rise up in his glory and his power and go out before him and his companions and defend him and defeat the enemies. It's a reminder that when you trust God, you can trust him to fight your battles. That's what David did. He trusted God to fight his battles. And David's prayer is an appropriate prayer for all of us to pray. In every affliction, we are encouraged to lay our concerns before God and to cry out to him for deliverance and to leave the battle and the consequences to him and to him alone, knowing that deliverance ultimately comes from him. Now notice carefully in verse 8. Verse 8 is a summation of the entire Bible. Look at what it says. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. David is reminding us, friends, that salvation and deliverance doesn't come from ourselves. Salvation and deliverance doesn't come in our crying and in our tears. It doesn't come in our promises and in our resolves. It doesn't come in our charities and our good works. 
Salvation is not found in the church. Salvation is not found in creeds. It's not found in catechisms. It's not found in baptisms. It's not found in communion. It's not found in rituals. It's not found in ceremonies. Salvation comes from one place and one place only, the Lord. Salvation from beginning to end, from first to last, belongs to God. It is God who chooses his people. It is God who calls his people by grace. It is God who awakens his people to life by his spirit. And it is God and God alone who keeps his people saved to the very end. Salvation is not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon me. God doesn't need any of us for salvation because salvation 100% totally and fully belongs to him. David understood this. And it reminds us of what the entire Bible teaches us. That our hope for eternal life, our hope for a prosperous future, our hope beyond the grave belongs to God and God alone. And it is to God that you must look for your redemption. It is to God that you must look for your salvation. It is to God that you must look for your confidence and hope. And when you look to God, you see his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, spread out on a cross, dying for your sins so that you could have a future and a hope with God in full and complete deliverance for all eternity. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And David ends the psalm with a benediction. Your blessing be upon your people. Why, why would he do that? Because he understood that when God delivers him, God will restore blessing upon the nation and the people. That God will pour out his blessings through his king and through his leader. Here's what I know this morning, friends. We are not always delivered from tough trouble and danger like David was when Absalom betrayed him. But we can still be strengthened by this psalm. This psalm points us to a greater king and a greater salvation. Psalm 3 strengthens us by reminding us of the gospel. We look to Christ through the lens of Psalm 3 and we see the pattern of his life. Many rose up against Christ. And the opposition increased throughout his public ministry, culminating in his crucifixion on the cross. And like David, Jesus made his way out of Jerusalem. And though he was cursed, and though he was tested, and though he was tried, at no point was Jesus baffled or rattled by his opposition. Jesus slept in a storm in the hall of a boat. Jesus walked on the sea. Jesus calmed the winds. Jesus was at perfect peace through all of the pressures that were thrown against him. And as he was mistreated and as he hung on a Roman cross, people jeered him. People made fun of him. People said, you will get no help from God. And what did Jesus do when they were crying out and lashing out at him? He committed his spirit to his father. And three days later, he rose from the grave in victory over everything that was thrown at him. His suffering led to glory because God sustained his dear son. And what was true of David and what was true of Jesus is true of you and me. God is our deliverer no matter the amount of pressure. God is our glory, no matter how much shame. God is our shield, 
no matter how much fear. So when you wake up tomorrow, maybe you'll open your Bible and you'll read Psalm 3 and you'll sing it to the Lord as you begin your day. Christopher Ashe said, when we pray, may your blessing be upon your people. We pray that the deliverance of the king will overflow with blessings to the king's people. They said God wouldn't rescue David, but he did. They said God wouldn't rescue Jesus, but he did. They said God wouldn't rescue Jesus' people, but he will, because Jesus is the rescuing king. Let's pray.